Wow, what a beautiful group we have today. It's so good to be here. Thank you for coming, and um, thank you especially for allowing me to share. This is my story with you. Um, I've been so inspired by all the other people who have shared through the weeks that we've been doing this series, and I hope that today will be a time when God really speaks to your heart and really uh, lets you know of his overwhelming, reckless love that he has for you. Um, I suppose if there was one message... I was only given one message to preach for the rest of my life. It would have to be a message about the love of God because it's so amazing. God's love is so amazing. Um, I um, want to share who I am now uh, before I get started on my testimony because um, um, most of you, well, some of you know me, (laughs) uh, but some of you have never met me before because the church has grown so much in the last few years. And I actually retired in 2016. Um, I thought I was retiring, (laughs) but I've been very, very active in other ministries since then. Uh, But I have been married to Larry. This is Larry, my husband. I've been married to Larry, uh, and August will be 48 years. I am a a survivor, and so is he. I have uh, two sons, Jamie, you know, and Sam, who is in Tallahassee, and Sam was once on staff here at the church also when we first started, and uh, I have uh, two beautiful daughters in Grace, and uh, of course you know Tiffany, and um, then I have seven grandchildren, and uh, the oldest one just graduated from high school, and the youngest one starts first grade, and uh, so we have a wide uh, range of activities uh, at our house, based on which grandchild happens to be there. Um, I am 67 and a half years old. I'll tell you how old I am, but I won't tell you how much I weigh. Uh, there are certain things that women just will not do, and that happens to be one of them. I love you, but that's off limits. Uh, I am one of the founding pastors of the church, and I, I can honestly tell you, uh, when this church began in our living room with six people, including me and Larry, We had no idea what God would do, and he has done amazing things in the lives of so many people. And it's too early to get choked up, so I'm going to leave that subject. Um, My hobbies are I love to cook and to bake. I love sewing and painting. I love writing and traveling, and I also love photography. I guess if I had my one individual Um, fun hobby that I like that has nothing to do with ministry, nothing to do with family, nothing to do with anyone other than me would be photography. And of course, it's the one on the very bottom of the bottom of the list. (laughs) But I've always thought that was great fun. Um, I uh, am here today to present the Word of God to you today and to share about God's amazing, reckless love. And uh, I don't have on plaid, but I can carry the anointing without wearing plaid. (laughs) And so um, I want to share with you, first of all, scripture in John 10.10. Satan's plan versus God's plan in my life and your life is made very apparent and very clear in this particular uh, message from the Word of God. I'll be reading in the New Living Translation, and it says this. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. 
Um, there are two agendas on the horizon for your future. Uh, one is Satan's agenda, where he is stealing, killing, and destroying from you on a daily basis. How many of you know that's true? That's what Satan wants to do in your life. And the other agenda is from God and from his representative, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is to give them a rich and satisfying life. If you ever want to know what God's plan for you is, it's for you to have a rich and satisfying life. If you're not satisfied with life, then there's some things that need to be ingested in your life so that you're in God's plan and God's purpose for your life. And so we are given the opportunity in life to choose whose side we're going to be on. We can choose Satan's side, which is uh, to allow him every day to still kill and destroy in your life. Or we can choose the Lord's side. And the Lord's side is that rich and satisfying life that he has prepared for you before the foundations of the world, before you ever breathed your first breath. God had a plan and purpose for your life and a destiny. And uh, so most people think when they meet me, as I begin to share my testimony, most people think when they meet me that I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I just look like one of those southern ladies that um, probably grew up on a plantation somewhere (laughs) and never did any dishes. (laughs) Well, that's the farthest thing from the truth because um, I am what I am by the grace of God just as we all are who we are by the grace of God. Amen? Um, uh, My mom and dad divorced when I was two years old, uh, so there would be no children. I grew up knowing that I was the reason that there had been a divorce. I had three brothers. Uh, One was 16 years older than me. The other one was 14 years older than me. And um, the last one was six years older than me. And my mom was 40 years old when she became pregnant with me. Uh, Needless to say, she did not want me. And uh, all my life, I grew up knowing that I was the reason for the divorce and that uh, I was the unexpected and unwanted child in the family. Also, I knew that I was the little girl behind three boys, and there were no hand-me-downs for me. I just didn't look good in their clothes. And so um, she had a hard time. Uh, she, my dad was a drug abuser, an alcoholic, and he was an angry, mean drunk, Not the kind of drunk that's the party guy, but the kind that's very violent and very drunk and very angry when he's drunk. Um, Her commitment to me, uh, she committed me to the Lord when she had me in the charity ward of the hospital in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, She said, Lord, I don't want this baby, but if you want her, you can have her. And the Lord said, I'll take her. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? When no one else in the world wants us, God wants us. So he spoke to me a number of years later uh, when I was crying one day about not having a daddy. And I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, I'll be your daddy. I'll be your daddy. And I can tell you, he has been so faithful. And he has been the daddy that I never, never had. Um, You know, uh, so many times we hear messages about the love of the Father And that's hard to embrace if you never had the love of a natural father. And I empathize with people who go through that. Well, there are some people who just really think, oh, yeah, my dad was so great, and God must be like him. 
Uh, I, I can never experience that because my dad was not so great. And I had to learn that God himself was an amazing daddy father and that he would love me and care for me and take care of me all the days of my life as I chose to follow him and chose his way in my life. So my life was full of physical and verbal abuse, poverty, shame, and hand-me-downs. I lived in a run-down house with rats and roaches and depended on public transportation or walking and on government commodities to live. I think we were allowed to live in the house so that the landlord would not have to cut the grass or keep it clean. It was not a very good, sanitary, or nice place to live, but that's where I grew up. You know, I didn't realize I had a father. I guess as a child, um, being isolated the way I was, my mom didn't drive, I never really realized that I didn't have a father because my brothers were there, my mom were there, and they were the only ones who I knew. Uh, we didn't have a social life. And uh, one day I went to the mailbox to pick up the mail. That was my job as a, as a little girl. And I picked up the mail in the mailbox, and there was a letter there, and I didn't recognize who it was from. So I asked my mom, who is this from? And she said, it's from your daddy. And that was honestly the first time I ever realized that I had a daddy. My whole world revolved around my brothers and my mother, and there was no social life, and there was no... Um, there was no interactivity with other families that were, quote, normal. And so I just didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know I had a daddy. So I asked where he was, and I found out that he was in prison. Uh, one of the many times he would be in prison during my life. And so um, I looked forward to meeting him, and I thought that uh, once he met me, his little girl, that his life would change. And that uh, I can remember dressing up the first time I met my dad and wanting to dance for him. I had one of those hand-me-down dresses that had the big full skirt. And, you know, I don't know what's wrong with us girls, but we always want to twirl those skirts around, don't we? And so I just thought, you know, when my dad meets me, he will give up his ways, his alcohol, his drugs, and he will love me. And that was far from the truth. Uh, He never loved me, never accepted me. Uh, never called me his own. In fact, he called me illegitimate using some really pretty strong expletives most of my life. But you know what? That was his loss. That was his loss. So um, in the spring of, uh, after I was six years old in January, we were dying Easter eggs, and I asked my mother about why we celebrated Easter. And she said it's when some mean men crucified a man named Jesus on the cross, and he had never done anything wrong. She didn't pray with me or give me any information, but my heart was touched by the mention of the name of Jesus. I wanted to know him, and I wanted to know this person who had never done anything wrong, because even as young as six years old, I felt like I had done everything wrong. Just being born was wrong. And I felt responsible for everything that was wrong or not going right in my family. So uh, that day when I heard about Jesus, just the name of Jesus touched my heart. And um, I decided that I wanted to know this man named Jesus. And I wanted to know someone who had the power to not ever do anything wrong. Uh, So I started going to a neighborhood Baptist church on Sunday mornings by myself after that conversation with my mom. No one else in my family attended church. 
Um, and I had to learn about this, but I had to learn about this man named Jesus, so I did. So my mom would walk me to the top of the hill and uh, watch as I walked about a quarter of a mile to the church. Uh, and then when it was time for church to be over, she would return. But my mom never would go to church with me. Her shame and her offense and her disappointment with life kept her uh, from sharing that fellowship in Christ with me. So my brothers didn't go. They, too, were hurt and offended, and so I went by myself. Uh, Don't ever think that what other people have done will ever and can ever keep you from the kingdom of God. It's your choice. And it's your choice, and you can do it. When I look back and think about that, I think how amazing it was that God's grace was so, so strong and so real in my life that he gave me the courage to do that all alone. But at church, I found people who loved me. I found people who would believe in me. And I found um, um, an understanding of the Word of God that I'd never had before. So I started first grade in the fall of that year, and it qualified me to become part of a church program called GAs, or Girls Auxiliary, where I memorized scriptures and learned about people who gave their lives to the mission work in foreign fields. I did not join the church because I felt like I had nothing to give, no family, no money, no tithe. Um, But in the sixth grade, during a spring revival, I finally got it. And I realized that all God ever really wanted was me. During the song, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, but that his blood was shed for me, I finally got it. And church, that's the truth. God doesn't want anything other than you, but he wants all of you. He wants your whole heart. So uh, in the sixth grade, I walked down the aisle, I joined the church, I was baptized that night, and I made a firm commitment to live as part of the body of Christ. Again, all by myself, no family members, no instruction, just an understanding that just like I was, God wanted me, and that he would keep me and be my dad the rest of my life. Um, at the same time, my home life was filled, and so I'm so thankful for the ladies at the Baptist Church who loved me, who bought me clothes, who bought me my first pair of high heels when I was six year, sixth grade. They were all of about an inch and a quarter high. <laughs> but girls, you know what we're talking about. Those first high heels are really special. And so that Easter, I had my first high heels, but the ladies loved me. And um, they cared for me, and I know they prayed for me. And uh, today I just um, acknowledge and thank them. We as a church should always reach out to those in need. You know, we don't need to be contained within these four walls, satisfied that we belong to a church and that our needs are met, but we should always be reaching out and always sharing the love of God and the resources that God has given us to those who have less than we do. Because we are uh, of a truth, uh, God in their lives, because those ladies were that in my life. Um, So as I started first grade, I began to learn uh, scriptures. And I can honestly say that's one of the most important things that ever happened in my life, that I met people who would point me towards the Word of God and who would teach me what the Word of God said concerning God and concerning me. Um, If I believed what I thought about me based on what my family did and said, 
I would have been a prostitute on the street by the time I was 14 or 15 years old. But instead, I believe that God's Word uh, was a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and that God's Word changed me from the inside out, and that no matter what was going on on the outside, the inside of me was alive and well in the presence of the Lord. And so teach people. If you have children, teach them the Word of God. Uh, We taught Sam and Jamie the Word of God from the time that they were little, and look at Jamie now. (laughs) Um, so the word of God is so important in your life and in the life of your children and your family because it truly is the path the light for the path that God has called you to walk Um, uh, at the same time that all this was going on uh, in my spiritual life and in the church uh, my home life was filled with shame, fear, and abuse My father was a drug and alcohol abuser long before it was cool. We never knew when he would show up drunk, drugged, and violent. Many times my mother and my brother uh, would, my mother, my brother, and I would flee to a public place where we were safe until he was arrested. He hated me and always called me illegitimate in terms I didn't understand, but I could feel deep in my heart that it meant something very bad. Um, I can remember um, sitting next to my mother on the sofa with my dad in front of us holding a gun on us, and I can remember my mom begging him not to kill us. Um, It was really hard. Not only was there poverty and rats and roaches and, and, uh, you know, food as it was necessary, but not necessarily the best food, but there was always that threat of violence. And even though... <clears throat> Even though they were uh, divorced, they, my dad never stayed away, and we never quite knew when he would show up. One of the things that I had to overcome in my adult life was the fear of darkness because many times as a child I would be sitting on the floor playing and I would look up and in the dark window my dad would be looking in watching us. And then the things that would happen after then were things that uh, children shouldn't have to experience. And so uh, we never knew when he would come, and we never knew anything other than it would be bad. And um, so I want to share today a story that I've really never shared. I'm not even sure Larry knows this story, but in praying about sharing today, I felt like I was supposed to do that. But as a child, uh, my mom and I had uh, gone to my brother's house, who lived about uh, 15 miles up, um, out of town in the country in a mobile home and uh, they had uh, the land had a lake where we could fish and it was a fun place to be and my mom and I had gone to visit with my brother and my sister-in-law and their children and uh, as evening came my dad showed up and of course he was drunk and as the evening wore on it became worse uh, his attitude his actions and Uh, He continued to drink. And so my sister-in-law decided it was time to get rid of all of us because things were going south. And so uh, we all loaded up in her station wagon to drive the 15 miles back to her home. And um, my dad said that he was going to drive. And nothing would uh, deter him other than for him to drive. And uh, there was no way to stop him. And so um, my sister-in-law rode in the front seat with him. And my mother and I were in the back seat, and we began the drive back home about 15 miles. 
No, the road was a country road. It was a two-lane, hilly, curvy road in uh, northwest Alabama, and there were no street lights. And my dad decided in his drunken state that he would be driving that night without the lights on. And so um, I sat in the back seat, and I uh, looked out at the ravine. I don't know if any of you have ever been in North Georgia, but there's it's hilly, curvy, and there's deep ravines, you know. Uh, and I looked out at the deep ravine and know that uh, we had no lights on the car and that no one could see us coming, and that as he weaved back and forth from side to side that we could easily end up down there. But then I also looked up and realized that that night there was a full moon. Um, I would not realize until later on in school when I learned that uh, this, the moon's light is the reflection of the sun's light that I really did understand that the Lord was watching and protecting and taking care of us that night. And so as we drove uh, that long, long journey, it seemed like forever um, in the darkness only lit by the light of the moon, um, God protected us and he took care of us. And as we, um, and I, I think that's interesting that I felt led to share that story because the worship today was about darkness. There's no darkness, no shadow that the light won't uh, eliminate. And that's, that's so true. God is speaking that to you today, that in your life there's no darkness, there's no curly, heavy, hilly road with no lights, uh, nothing the enemy can drive you down that will not be dispelled by the light of the living God in your life. Amen. So as we got into town, we stopped to get gas, and uh, he got out to walk across the street to the package store to buy more alcohol. And um, at that time, my sister-in-law gained control of the car again, and she drove and would not get out when he came back. I remember, uh, you know, I was born again. I was a Christian. I knew the love of God. But watching my dad um, humiliate, shame, and hurt my family was really hard for me. There were times as a child that I wanted to sit him down and tie him up and just beat him. I'm being very honest. (laughs) And my childlike uh, attitude, you know, I couldn't defeat him. He was a big man, and I couldn't defeat him myself, but I thought if I could just sit him down and tie him up, you know, I could just really make him pay for all the hurt that he's had. And I remember that night sitting in the back seat and watching him um, come across the four-lane highway uh, right on the inside of the city, and he fell. And uh, I was quietly praying that as he fell, that the bottle of alcohol he just broke that he just bought would be broken in the fall. And um, so he came back to the car. He got in on the passenger side. There was a lot of controversy and arguments because he was not driving, but my sister-in-law decided no more, no more she was going to drive. So we probably drove another two miles to my house. And so uh, we got out of the car, and once he got out of the car, he decided that he was going to make her pay for taking the car away from him. And so I watched as she ran around the car, got in the driver's side of the car, locked the door, and began to crank the car so that she could go home. And I watched as he took his fist and as he took his hand and rammed it in the window of the driver's side car. And uh, as she put it in reverse and 
backed up and drug him down, and uh, she drove off. Well, uh, he had really done a number on his blood vessels, and he was bleeding out. My older brother came home, and we got him to the hospital, and uh, he was there for a long, long time, but I remember no one went to bed. None of us could sleep after that experience. And um, when they brought my dad home, they put him in the bed, and I can remember walking as a little girl, walking by the room and looking in to see what he was like. And he was so pale. He was so pale. He was as white as the sheet that he was sleeping on. And I remember looking at him and thinking, what a wasted life. What a wasted life. Um, so that was my opportunity to tie him up and beat him, and I didn't do it. Aren't you proud of me? <laughs> well, uh, he recovered, took off again. I mean, he would travel, ride the rails, and um, he was gone again. And there were times when he was gone that life was pretty much normal. I loved school. I loved church. I found great favor with people. And I know that that was the grace of God. And um, so, but there was a time uh, in just after I finished the seventh grade that we finally bought a house. And I was so excited because I had a new house and I was moving to a new church and a new school. And no one knew how many times the police had shown up at my house. No one knew any of the stories. And I would have a clean slate, a fresh start. And so I finished seventh grade, and we moved, and then I was to start uh, school at the county school system. Uh, We had a a house. It was new to us. It was not new. It was all of 600 square feet. It had four rooms and a bathroom, very small bathroom. But I was so excited because there were no rats, (laughs) no rats and no bugs. And so... um, we uh, was excited about what was to come to pass, but one afternoon that summer, August the 11th, 1996, the phone rang, and it was my dad, and he said, I'm coming to see you all. Tell your mom not to call the police. And um, he was crazier than I had ever heard him in all the years with all the abuse and everything that had happened. I had never quite heard him the way he was that day on the phone. And so I told my mom, don't worry, he'll never make it. But he had a tendency to have people drop him off because they wanted to get rid of him. And sure enough, that night, about um, 7 o'clock, someone drove up in our driveway. And I can remember the lights of the car turning in the driveway and thinking someone is bringing him just to get rid of him themselves. So he came in the house. He was crazy. Uh, Went through all the rooms turned around, walked right back out, got in the car again, and left. And I thought, oh, wow, thank goodness he's gone. Thank goodness we didn't get beat up, thrown against the wall, or pushed down the stairs. He's gone. We're safe. But about an hour later, the phone rang, and uh, that phone call changed my life. Um, I still, even though I wanted to beat him up, I still was believing that someday my family would be put back together. And that I would have a mom and dad who would love me and go to church with me. And that we would have family. I really wanted a family. And so when the phone rang that night, the call told us that my dad had left our house and had gone down and had murdered my grandfather, uh, his dad. And uh, it was the end. It was the end of the hope, the dream. Uh, At that point in time, I knew 
we would never be restored as a family. Um, there was a lot of crying that went on. Um, uh, my two brothers, my mother, my brother in Vietnam, and all the extended family members, we all cried and grieved for about three days, all the way through my grandfather's funeral. I was devastated. I was broken. Um, and so was everyone else around me. And I didn't want to live. I was 14 years old. And so um, I just didn't want to live. I went into my bedroom. I got down on my knees at the bed that I shared with my mom. And uh, in a very simple, childlike faith, the faith of a born-again teenager, I said, Lord... I love you, and I know suicide is wrong. But I don't like these people, (laughs) and they don't like me, and I don't like living here, and you can come get me. (laughs) That's how real my relationship was with the Lord, that I felt like if I asked him, he could just come get me. And um, so uh, I knew I was not to take my own life, but I certainly didn't want to live with these people. Uh, these people had never caused me anything but pain. And so I said, uh, come get me or give me the power to live uh, this life, this Christian life that you called me to live. Well, I really didn't know what I was asking, but when I said, Lord, give me the power, he said, power, I've got power. <laughs> I've got power for you to live the Christian life. So at that moment in time, Um, the Holy Spirit came down upon me. I had no teaching about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know that the Holy Spirit had been given when Jesus went back to the Father. But at that point in time, the Holy Spirit came down and baptized me in a love and a peace that I had never known. And um, so I, I got up that day from my knees beside my bed And I decided I was going to live and not die. And I dusted myself off, put on my best hand-me-downs, and I started to school the 1st of September, just two short weeks after all this had been front news, front uh, page news in the paper about um, all that had happened. And that was not a common occurrence back then. You know, I lived in the dark ages. You know, when you're as old as I am, you live in the dark ages. Uh, so that that just didn't happen. I mean, peop- that just didn't happen. So it was front page news, and it was the ultimate humiliation. But anyway, I started a new school. I started a new church. God gave me grace. I had the power to live. It was, it was an amazing act of God's grace in my life. And, you know, if you're at that point in your life, no matter what you've been through, uh, whether you it's self-inflicted, you know, whether you shot yourself in the foot <laughs> or whether it's because of the actions of others. You know, several weeks ago, Jamie taught about Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth was dropped because of the fear of his nurse. And in my life, I was very much someone who had been dropped, and I was crippled and broken because I had been dropped. Uh, but like Mephibosheth, God called me to his table, and he said, you'll eat at my table forever, and your brokenness 
will be covered. And that's the way God is. He's such a redeemer. Amen. He's such a redeemer. Um, So I want to share a scripture with you. Um, This is found in Luke 4, but the scripture that I'm reading is out of Isaiah 61. If you had to say that Jesus had a mission statement, this would be his mission statement. This is the reason Jesus came. This is what his purpose was. This is what his plan was. Um, Not to just give you fire insurance so you could get to heaven, but so that your life could be, as we talked about in John 10.10, rich and satisfying. And so Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, it says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of the Lord's anger against his enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, the oil of joy, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness they will be like great oaks, that the Lord has planted for his glory. Because of Jesus' mission statement today, I stand before you as a great oak to give glory to God Almighty. It's his doing. I had uh, only ashes, and he gave me beauty. I only had despair and brokenness, and he released me, and he set me free. And I've seen him do it through the years and multiple lives over and over and over again. There's no power in hell that can keep you from being all that God has called you to be. There's no power in hell that can cause you to be anything other than to fulfill the destiny that God has in your life. But you choose. Are you going to be on the side where Satan continually steals, kills, and destroys? Are you going to be on the side where there's a rich and satisfying life? The choice is you. You choose this day who you will serve. And God is, God is so good. I'm thankful uh, to share with you today that my entire family was born again before their deaths, including my dad. Uh, all, I, all is needed in the family is for one person to stand up and say, I'm going to believe God. If you're believing for your family today, do it with all your heart and don't settle for anything less other than total redemption. Now, my family missed out on being the vessels that God had chosen them to be in the kingdom of God, but they didn't miss out on eternity, and I'm so excited that I will be with them someday. And I will know them as I've never known them, and I will know my dad, and there will be nothing but love and restoration and healing. God is good. Uh, Today, God has a plan for you. Choose. You have the authority to choose. And if a six-year-old can do it, you can do it. (laughs) Amen? There's no bondage in your life that God can't set you free from. Amen? So I'd like to call the altar ministry team forward. And um, some of you have been touched by the things that I've shared. Uh, I know it's not been a pretty testimony today. It's not been, quote, pretty. Uh, but it's the truth, and it's what um, the life that I lived and the life that God redeemed. 
And wherever you are today, you may be my dad. You may be the alcoholic drug abuser who does nothing but terrifies your family. You may be uh, that person that's endured all that all your life and still feel like you're nothing because that's the way you grew up. Um, You may be the person who enabled, as my mom did, my dad to do the things that he did. Um, Wherever you are today, whatever brokenness, whatever wall that needs to be pulled down today, as we sang about earlier, God's here to pull that down today. Amen? Amen. Will you stand to your feet? You know, uh, when I share about that little girl, uh, the thought that comes to my mind is I'm not that little girl anymore. You know, I see some of you have tears in your eyes, and I know you're feeling for me, and I feel for her, but that's not who I am. I'm a mighty woman of God. Okay, you ready to do business with the Lord? I'm not really good at invitations, so it'll be just plain and simple. If you need a touch from God today, I want you to come see me. I want you to come see the altar ministry team. Right now, just slip out of your seat wherever you are. Ask God to heal you, restore you, deliver you. The Spirit of God is moving, and he wants to set you free today. Amen?